All right. Hey, what's up, guys? We have Eddie here to talk about China. Uh, so what's going on, Eddie? How are you doing today? Hey, I'm good, Micah. How are you? Good. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself first? Sure, no problem. Um, so like you said, my name is Eddie and I run a podcast called Sinobabble. It's also a newsletter over on Substack as well. And it's essentially all about um, China. So the first same part this first four years of the podcast were all about Chinese history so covering mainly the 20th century the Maoist years um the CCP's rise to power and things like that and now that I've sort of finished with that period I'm doing more general topics so talking about Chinese news trying to put some historical context on a lot of China's decisions because a lot of people have questions like oh why would China do that with Russia or that with India or that with the US for example um, so I try and answer those questions sort of factually without trying to put any bias. I feel like there's enough bias out there in the media. So, yeah, just try and do more educative content, basically. Yeah, I feel like China has like one of the is one of the most biased countries, um, or at least I think like a lot of it has to do with just it seems like we don't know a whole lot about what's going on there. Most people. But I'm, I'll get to that. But um, so, yeah, um, how did you get into how or why did you get into China? Mm. So my undergraduate degree uh, many, many years ago was in Chinese studies um, and I really enjoyed it. So I did a master's and then a Ph.D. in Chinese um China and Chinese history. So Chinese language, culture and history. I've also lived in China and I've lived in Hong Kong as well. Um two very different worlds, the mainland and Hong Kong. And um, I started Sinobabble sort of as a project to help me read more about Chinese history, because when you're doing a PhD, you'd have to do so much reading and there's not a lot of ways to motivate yourselves other than locking yourself in like a dark room <laughs> and just staring at books all day. So it was kind of a way to motivate myself to do more reading. And sometimes the best way to learn something is to like teach other people as well. Yeah. So as far as the you mentioned the Substack thing, and I've heard like a lot about Substack. I don't really know too much about it. Um, in terms of you being involved with Substack, is that like something like they come to you to kind of be like, hey, do you want to be? It's kind of like um, like a newsletter type thing, right? Yeah. No. Any anyone can start one. Um, it's kind of I don't know if you ever like saw about Medium, for example. So it's kind of like um a writing outlet. Um, it's very much focused on the content of the writing because basically everyone's um, the format comes out the same so everyone has the same font everyone has the same like you know style and setup sort of thing so it's all about the content but yeah I read substacks there's substacks about literally everything from like I read really weird ones um, about like cult you know cultural life in China uh, from like young people's culture and then I also read one about like communal living as well just uh, on the gardening and things like that so yeah there's subsects about everything okay and so it's kind of just like a um like a podcast but for writers or like how like Apple Podcasts or Spotify but it's for writers correct yeah exactly yeah it's like the hosting yeah platform. a place to go yeah, yeah. exactly Okay. And do you get paid to write for Substack or no? No, Is but it... you can, um, your um, <clears throat> subscribers can support you with donations if they want to. A lot of people, some people do that for their living. Okay. And 
yeah so do you do this like full-time as your job like you're like a like kind of like a journalist podcaster or no do you have a full-time no, job too it's yeah it's totally a side project I have a full-time job um but yeah this okay. is just something that I do on the side it's like a hobby that I can't really let go of even though it takes up so much time because <laughs> it's yeah it's very I would imagine it's very probably hard to make a living being like a journalist right yeah I think especially now that it's so you know p- people don't read paper newspapers anymore everything's digital a lot of traditional media we're seeing struggle like keeping up revenues and things like that like I think just yesterday actually there were a lot of layoffs in lots of different um mainstream newspapers and so I think now what you're seeing is a lot of people a lot of journalists kind of either going freelance or trying to set up their own thing so Substack is a really um big venue for former and sort of like current freelance journalists who want to just like have their own platform and have their own audience and have their own voice instead of it being dictated by like the editor or whatever. And it's basically through just the Substack website, essentially. Like you just, if I wanted to go read your stuff on there, I would just go to like substack.com or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And then you can search by topic. You can search if you know what you're looking for, you can search precisely for the newsletter and like different newsletters can recommend other people's newsletters as well. So it's kind of like its own ecosystem where you know, you can refer a friend or direct people to want other newsletters that you read and like as well. Yeah, I would imagine that, um, that, um, yeah, like with, with AI, like it's probably getting harder and harder too for journalists, right? Because it's like now, I, I mean, this is only what I've heard. Like you can just basically go into the chat GPT or whatever and be like, write me up, uh, you know, uh, I mean, obviously it's not going to write up a story as good as like a journalist. But um, mm-hmm. it's easier to be able to have the AI write the stories, I guess, now, right? Like, are you using ChatGPT yeah. at all, like, for your writing? Um, I Not for um, my Sinobabble project, no. Um, <clears throat> but it's, it's weird for, um, it's like a weird, um, I don't know, mix of a tool. Because while it is kind of good at giving you, like, really standard stuff, like, you know, T- tell me everything I need to know about like Mao Zedong's entire life. It could tell you it in a very standard way, but it, I think chat GPT hasn't been updated to the current day. So like, it can't tell you anything about the Ukraine war, for example. And it gets a lot of stuff wrong. Like it will just make up things. And then if you ask it, it will be like, Oh, sorry. Like, I didn't know that that wasn't correct. That's my mistake sort of thing. So it, it's not that it lies, but it's not, it's definitely not reliable. And my full-time job is actually in academic publishing. And we're actually going through um, a really tough time at the moment, trying to regulate scientific authors not using AI to help them write their scientific papers. And so we're now having to sort of counter innovate products that can detect AI generated text and things like that, especially a lot of, um, you know, people who don't speak English as a native language kind of use it as a shortcut to help them get published in highly respected scientific journals and things like that. Yeah, people are, are, are kind of acting as if it's some sort of, you know, crazy thing. But like what I've got on there, it hasn't been that amazing. You know what I mean? It's like, no. like, like, like you said, it essentially just spits out <clears throat> kind of like facts you would read on like wikipedia or whatever it's not gonna like give you like a really creative although i've heard that Mm. you know some people have gotten good at like prompting it to do that or whatever but it's not gonna be able to like just spit out some sort of like long 
you know, creative, like, um, YouTube script that, like, a human would write, you know what I mean? Or, like, some sort of crazy investigative journalism. Yeah, but so, anyways, yeah, yeah, and it's, like, I don't know how how far we are from that, essentially, but, you know, I've heard that ChatGPT4 is supposed to be better, and who knows? But, so, let's get into into China, though, since that's what you're here for. Um, So, yeah, I, I, like I said before, I feel like there's a lot of, like, misconceptions about China. I mean, I probably... I know very little about it. Mm-hmm. And I guess the first question I'll ask would be like, in terms of its political structure, I, I feel like a lot of people think that it's like a communist country, but then you hear like, oh no, it's not really fully communist. It's kind of like a mix of communists and capitalists. And in some areas it may be communist. And then like, I don't know, like some <laughs> areas it may not be, right? So yeah. could you go over like the, their political structure there? Sure. Um, So yeah, it is very complicated. I think one of the reasons that people get a misconception about it is because of how it's often um, portrayed in Western media. I think particularly if you're a US um, observer trying to learn about China and you're looking at it from the, it's often portrayed as like a dyad, you know, like America is like the free West and China is like the repressive communist um, remnants. And it's all this Cold War terminology that doesn't really apply anymore. So the way China would characterize their government is something called um, socialism with Chinese characteristics, um, which basically means that China is a one-party state that is um, governed by the CCP. No one else can govern China because the CCP is sort of like the rightful governing body that is, you know, designated to lead China on this glorious path, essentially. Um, and the 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 way the economy is structured is essentially it is a centrally controlled market driven economy so that means you you can have things like private companies you can have foreign investment you can have um exports and imports and things like that but you can't it's not free it's not free market economy it's not laissez faire as we would call it in the west it's very much centrally driven um, and the government still has control over things like budgets, where major uh, sections of investment goes. So, for example, if China, if the CCP decided tomorrow that, you know, we want to develop the next AI, all of the government's sort of focus in terms of budget, in terms of policy making, would in terms of like land designation for people to make these AI companies, in terms of like computing power. And, you know, turning some people's internet off so that they can build the AI faster or whatever, that's still all within the central government's remit. Um, So when you see these things, like I know people sometimes get confused about things like the Belt and Road. They think that, oh, the CCP is like sending out all these companies or it's the Chinese communist companies going out to these countries. And it's not quite right. It's more like the central government has given this dictate that companies should go out to foreign countries and try and set up joint ventures and then those companies do what they can to try and fulfill that mandate if that makes sense yeah and so what what is the ccp exactly like what does it stand for and yeah so the ccp is is the um the chinese communist party um they call themselves the cpc which is the communist party of china people get very irritated if they're pro-china that if you say ccp instead of cpc um, but yeah, it's just the it's the one party that governs. There are other parties in China, but the central ruling party 
is the CCP, headed by Xi Jinping, as everyone knows. Um, and there is, in China, there is a party and a government. So like most countries, you have um, like the the political party that's been voted into power. And then you have sort of like the civil service bureaucratic side of things. Um, and that's how, you know, most states are set up, except for in China, to be a government official, you are especially a, a top level government official, you would also be a member of the Communist Party. So even though there's sort of like a theoretical divide between the two, the the government is ruled over by the party and cannot pass any laws without their approval. Okay, so it is, it, I mean, it sounds like, I mean, well, for one, they, they do call themselves the Communist Party of China. But mm-hmm. for two, it sounds like it's almost like a mixture of communism, like I said, with capital capitalism. Like you're able yeah. to start your own business. However, they're essentially able to the government's able to come in and dictate whatever they want, essentially, right? Like if you're yeah, not doing so, things the way they want you to do them. <clears throat> absolutely. So you see that so you see this in very large companies that are privately owned. So for example, take a company like um like Alibaba, which um a lot of people know as sort of like an online marketplace is a little bit like Amazon um, or, um, you know, just other large like Tencent that uh, runs the Chinese equivalents of uh, WhatsApp and Twitter. Um, recently, these companies have had to uh, split up into smaller um, sort of subsidiary companies because the government basically deemed that they were a monopoly, but they didn't have any there's not it's not like they could protest against that and sort of take that to court or whatever because it was a central party dictate um whereas in the west you see that you know often we haul the ceos of like facebook or google or apple or whoever into court and we tell them you should do this and then they don't really listen um in china you can't go away with things like not paying your taxes as a private company and often most private companies actually have chinese party um chinese communist party cells within the company so that you have a whole section section of the company that's dedicated to making sure that you follow party guidance and government rules okay and as far as well um so yeah and then i've also heard that like hong kong in, it's like in China, but it, it has kind of like its own rules, right? It's almost kind of like very similar to how we are, where it's like maybe more just straight capitalist, right? Mm. Uh, well, it was um, until very recently. Um, so oh, okay, in twenty, okay. yeah, in twenty nineteen and twenty twenty, the Chinese uh, Communist Party basically passed um, a bunch of well, two or three new laws in China. Um, the extradition law and the security bill and between these two laws they essentially have changed the governance system of hong kong so before 1997 hong kong was a british colony then in 1997 it was passed over back to the mainland of china under something called the one country two systems system uh, essentially hong kong had its own elected parliament and it was, you know, as you say, running its sort of free market capitalist style economy. Um, and it was supposed to run like that for 50 years. Um, but basically, the Chinese Communist Party has been slowly, you know, getting more of a foothold in Hong Kong, doing things like erasing the border uh, for immigration between Hong Kong and mainland China, letting more Chinese businesses buy land and set up business in Hong Kong. 
Um, and now they've changed the way that the government runs as well, so that they're basically just pro Beijing, pro CCP people who are running Hong Kong. And so now you see that Hong Kong since 2020 is more and more in line with um, the mainland. Okay, yeah, I had a friend who lived there, and that was in that was a while ago. I mean, I met him in college, and he had lived there prior. So yeah, this was like 20 years ago, and he was. From what I remember, he was saying that it was similar to us. So, yeah, it sounds like more recently it's changed. So they are just fully within the CCP now. Okay. Yeah, and then, I mean, so... <clears throat> sorry, I was yeah. going to add that I, I wouldn't no say problem. fully. I think the CCP is still trying to keep that illusion, um, especially so that it maintains its attractiveness to foreigners, right? Because Hong Kong is supposed to be like you know we're not we're not really china you can still kind of like come here and do business but it's i think a lot of i know hong kong people who have left basically because they're like it's not the same and it's definitely going to change so but they want people to think that it that or they want people to visit it to think that it is essentially the same yeah. as it was but it's it's not yeah. yeah so you mentioned them what kind of things do they do if you're not following the rules i mean i know here essentially like if amazon or whoever google isn't following the rules i guess mainly they'll just like find them and then i guess i guess there could be prison time but like in china you hear things about like people like kind of like disappearing and stuff like that i forgot the i forgot the guy's name but he was kind of like a he was like a shorter guy and i i want to say he was maybe the head of alibaba or something and for a while yeah that's he, like, right jack ma yeah exactly for a while he disappeared i think he's back now right but like yeah i think he live <clears throat> rumors abound that he lives in japan now <laughs> So he, you think that he kind of had to like run and hide type thing because he wasn't abiding um, so by the he, rules, or I mean, he <clears throat> he was but he was technically abiding by the rules, but he was very very successful. He was the richest man in China for a while, um, but he's always been very he's always been more on the liberal side in his personality and his politics and things like that. So while he's always been very law abiding he definitely leans more to like the free capital side of things obviously because he's like a billionaire so he wants things to be as free as possible so he can make more money um and just before he disappeared he made some comments at like an economic forum or something like that about how it's getting really difficult to do business in china um you know i've he made some comments like i keep trying to tell them but they don't listen sort of thing like they don't know what they're doing and they're really they being the ccp are really gonna hurt business prospects in china with the way that they're running things and then basically a week later he disappeared for like six months and there was no official story it was just kind <clears> of like <throat> oh we haven't seen jack ma around in a while um, and then it came out that, oh, you know, he's been dodging taxes or he's been creating a monopoly, you know, just like general kind of excuses. And that's it's typically what you would see from China, from the Chinese Communist Party, when someone steps out of line, not so much financially, but definitely ideologically. I would say that's a lot more important. They want you to at least appear to be a moral upstanding citizen who supports the CCP as this like infallible, um, you know, like the righteous rulers of China. That's, I would say, a lot more important to them than whether or not you're financially corrupt because financial corruption, graft, you know, backdoor trades, um, nepotism, all of these things are very common in China. Okay, so you think there is a, we don't really know, it sounds like, but there is a possibility that China 
the CCP like tried to kind of, or maybe they were, I mean, will they, I guess, will they ever get physical in situations? Like, will they ever try and like, like kill someone essentially? Or like, do they ever like get like really extreme like that? Where if you're, or, or I mean, what do you, what do you think happened? Like, do you think they maybe just said, you got it, you got to get out of here or like, you know? Yeah. It's, I mean, I, do, I don't think anyone's ever actually reported. I mean, I think there have been some people who have said, you know, this, terrible thing happens behind closed doors and you know you get beaten or starved there is a um i forget the name of it now but there is like a tell-all book by a former high-ranking communist party member who defected to i believe it was the u.s and wrote this sort of tell-all um but many of the things that he said have been sort of questioned or debunked so it's very difficult to get an account because you know you see it with everyone talking about the uyghurs in um xinjiang province you know the muslim minority of China who um, are supposedly being put in these re-education camps but you know people are calling them like China's concentration camps Um, but it's very difficult to know what actually goes on it's kind of like trying to peek behind North Korea and only listening to the words of defectors it's like are you just getting the worst case story how much of this is true you know and the Chinese Communist Party has let like the BBC from the UK into these concentrate, sorry, these re-education camps in um, Xinjiang province and, you know, shown all these happy, smiling people learning Mandarin and learning new skills and learning how to paint and learning IT skills. Um, but they have been locked up. You know, they can't just freely walk out if they want to. They can't just go home and visit their families anytime they want. Mosques are closing down in Xinjiang province. Lots of these people are being relocated to, you know, what new work opportunities after they get out of these re-education camps. So it's it's like we don't have enough information. We can only assume what's going on, but then you don't want to assume too far because if you sort of if you stretch it and exaggerate it, then the CCP is very good at turning around and being like, oh, the West is always trying to demonize us. They're always lying about us. And then anything you have said that has any credibility is completely shot. Because, you know, you've been like, oh, they're murdering Uyghurs. And they're like, no, we're not. We can prove. And it just becomes like a battle of words and nothing actually gets solved or understood properly. Yeah. And there's like a big thing going on, like in America right now, I feel like where it's like, I think we're trying to be as um, like, you know, basically not racist as possible, which is which mm. is good. You know what I mean? Like, like with um, with how Trump was acting towards China, when you know tr- uh, China with the COVID when he was calling it the the um what was it, the China virus or the China flu yeah and just in general like with the Middle East and like with Muslims like we're trying to be as or the left at least is trying to be as understandable under you know understanding as possible and not like jumping to conclusions or being biased but like you and then it's also interesting too because I just had a guy on from the French military who went into Africa because the Muslims there were going into Africa and essentially having like kids take up arms. So it's like, it's kind of interesting. And same thing with Israel and Palestine. It's like you have two groups where um, they're both kind of doing bad. Well, I don't really want to say, I don't really want to jump to conclusions and say the Muslims in China are doing bad. It's kind of hard for me to say what I'm saying here without coming off bad but basically you have two groups who maybe maybe doing bad like i guess israel and palestine would be the perfect example where it's like some people are like supporting palestine some people are supporting israel it sounds like they both kind of are like 
not doing you know totally good things but it's like who, who do you defend you you know um so in this situation that would be basically the muslims in china and in, and in, and in the chinese um in this situation were these muslims like how did they even get there in the first place or like did they just were they already there and they converted to being muslim you know what i no, mean it's so, kind of like yeah yeah no it's a good question um it's got a very long complex history so the part of china that uh the people of xinjiang belong to or the the majority muslim population belong to is basically bordering areas like kazakhstan um and afghanistan so in the northwest of china so historically it's a muslim territory they haven't always been muslim um and a lot of them were not muslim until like the 17th or 18th century so it, his, in historical terms, they converted relatively recently, um, but that's quite common for the Middle East. The Middle East, uh, especially the eastern part of the Middle East, hasn't been Muslim for that long. Um, but yeah, they were they were there, and they have been in and out of the Chinese Empire under different um, under different regimes. So, for example, when the Mongolians in the twelfth uh, and thirteenth century conquered, you know, most of Asia that's when they were first brought in and then they were out again and they came back in in the 17th century and then they were out again and then they came back in the 20th century so they would some of them want independence some of them want to be part of um, Kazakhstan some of them want to form a country called New Turkestan Uh, some of them want to be Chinese um, but they want more opportunities so it's it's a complex social situation there has been some terrorism and the CCP sort of jumped on 9-11 as a way to be like, oh, we can clamp down on Muslims because Muslims are dangerous sort of thing. Um, and they s- sort of took that narrative and used it to suppress Muslim populations more harshly. And then in 2008, there were a few terrorist attacks in China that were um, led by Muslim extremists. So there's been a bit of back and forth, but obviously the majority of that population is very peaceful. And what the CCP would argue that they're doing is trying to give them opportunities because it's a very uh, it's a it's one of the poorest regions. So they're saying, well, we're just going in. We're trying to give these people, um, you know, we're trying to encourage them to intermarry with Chinese people, with um, Han Chinese people, you know, the native Chinese people. We're trying to encourage them to learn Mandarin so that they can get better jobs um, so that they can develop economically and so they can better integrate with the rest of the country, right? So for them, it's like, this is our assimilation policy. You don't have any right to judge us. Whereas the Muslim population would be like, we are being spied on. We are being prevented from practicing our religion. We are being prevented from, you know, marrying freely or like moving freely. So it's, as you say, there are two sides to the story and people are very comfortable, I find, picking a side. It's like, well, I think the CCP is right. It's like, well, I feel bad for the Uyghurs, but I don't think it's as, I don't think it's as straightforward um, as I, as with most of these situations. It's, it's very, very complex, and it often comes down to what individuals themselves want as well. Yeah, and like you said, it's it's just so hard to find out what's really going on because mm. I think it's true that like China doesn't. China doesn't really allow people to go visit there for the most part, right? Like, I can't just go to China, right? Um, it sounds like you um, have been to China, but it's it's probably a process to get even to get in, right? 
Yeah, you need a visa to get to China. I would say visit. Well, I'm not sure now what their COVID policies are, but visiting China generally is quite easy. I would say traveling around China can be quite difficult because their English isn't that great still. So especially in, in the interior part of China, you know, going anywhere westwards would be hard, and then going anywhere restricted. So places like um, Xinjiang, any anything even close to Tibet. Um, you need like special permission. You need special licenses, special tour guides. You wouldn't be allowed to wander around by yourself for sure. Why is that? Why are there certain places more restricted than others? So it just basically depends on the level of international political interest. So somewhere like Tibet is obviously has its freedom movement. The Dalai Lama lives abroad. There's you know the CCP has appointed their own Dalai Lama. Um, there was you know that huge. Um, period in the noughties I believe where you had all of these um, Buddhist monks setting themselves on fire in protest of the Chinese regime so they see themselves as a people's conquered um, that should be independent and have their own independence and China is like no you're part of the China you're part of China basically you are Chinese people and again is putting them through these assimilation programs where they have to learn Mandarin in school their children go to boarding schools and they're not at home, not in their communities. They've moved from like the their villages into these new modern housing developments and made to get new jobs. So again, it's that contrast of Tibetan people would argue that they're trying to maintain their way of life and Chinese people would be like, well, you know, you have to modernize and that's just the way it is. Um, so yeah, so it's, um, you can go to Tibet, but it's uh, it's not as straightforward as just, you can't just like book a flight and go to Lhasa, basically. Yeah. Okay. So for some reason, I thought that like I like I, I wouldn't even be able to go, but it sounds like you can go, but it's very restricted on where you go. So yeah. Okay. Um, I'm surprised more people aren't going over there. It just seems like such like a a hidden place that we don't know we don't know too much about. But so I mean, there's a lot that I want to cover here. But um, <clears throat> so I guess we'll start off with the the religion so within china they have these um these buddhist monks that are setting themselves on fire right and i mean are they just totally doing that as martyrs like are they dying from that or like yes yes so, so they're, they're when just it, completely i don't think there's martyrs. been a, a case for a long time but yes they were it, it's in protest and it's i believe it's a form of martyrdom although i wouldn't i'm not 100 percent, but yeah i believe that's what it's for okay so for whatever reason you know, stupidly, I, I think that like I I think I saw like the Rage Against the I don't know if you've seen the Rage Against the Machine cover, which is like a monk setting himself yeah, yeah. on fire. And I kind of thought for some reason it was some sort of like Buddhist, like kind of like I don't like even really know what I thought. <laughs> like a ritual, or you know how like though the monks will like they'll they'll be so like focused that they'll be able to like levitate or whatever. And I was yeah. like, I thought that like he was setting himself on fire, but like he was still fine type thing or whatever. Oh, but yeah, so it's yeah. it's it's obviously yeah. It's, so it's in protest. Um, and so what is the religion? So within China, there's these Buddhist monks, or these <laughs> these Buddhist people essentially. But then you have China. Um, what what religion does China want? Does want their their people to be, or is it just not religious at all? Uh, China is deliberately atheist, I would say. So they have um, oh, okay. ancient folk religions, Taoism, um, sometimes called Taoism as well. 
Confucianism and also large parts of China were actually Buddhist like that's a very common religion in um, China in Japan as well and in uh, Korea Um, you've got small pockets of Christians as well who were converted during um, like the late 19th early 20th century when there were lots of um, lots of foreign invasions in China Um, but you know, China, the CCP is communist and Marx once said that religion is the opiate of the masses. So it's actually anti-communist to be religious, essentially. And Mao, under Mao Zedong's regime, he made concerted efforts. There were several campaigns to stamp out religion, including the Cultural Revolution, which was sort of China's big 10-year um, experiment that went slightly wrong, um, where anything religious at all even if it was like a Chinese cultural relic I think three quarters of all Chinese like cultural heritage was destroyed in the 1970s under the cultural revolution so anything you know like Confucian statues Dallas temples um any you know Buddhist relics anything like that were just like completely destroyed um under the communists okay and yeah like for me like I never really understood and it's I do understand it. It's for control or whatever, but it's like I've really never understood like why the government cares about you know what religion you are. Uh, like you said, they they say that it's the opiate for the masses, but it's like I mean, does it really matter? Like it's like you know, it's like like with the Muslims too, how they're treating them. Like I was gonna say, like I just don't really if they do have them in concentration camps or you know what happened like in Nazi Germany. Like I just, I've never understood why you would want somebody in a concentration camp because of their religion. You know what I mean? And say, okay, it's like, who cares? And it's like, I don't think the religion is really necessarily, from what I know, it's like here in America, you can be whatever religion you want. And like, none of the religions are really like pushing back on the government for the most part. Right. I mean, it's just like, I don't get why these, these countries are still wanting to have this like iron grip over their people like it just Mm -hmm. and it's it's i mean i think i know why it's obviously for control and it's obviously they want everybody under their particular regime and like to to believe the same thing but it just seems like i don't know it just seems like if you have enough angry people like your country's just not going to do well you know what i mean yeah i think so it's so I think from a personal perspective, it's not too clear, but I think from the Chinese communist perspective, it's very clear um, from an ideological level why you can't have religion. Um, It's completely antithetical to communism because communism essentially requires the like the submission of the self. Right. So like you can't really have personal desire under communism you can't really have your own thought you can't have really your own goals your goals your thoughts your wants your desires all have to be aligned with whatever the state wants because you're trying to build this equal communist utopia whereby we're all prosperous and for in in order for all of us to be prosperous you can't have some people who are more prosperous than others that doesn't work this is at a theoretical level it doesn't actually apply to China but this is how when the Chinese Communist Party was being formed when they took over. And even now, even though they've moved to a more market capitalist economy, um, that ideology of everyone moving in lockstep to build whatever the CCP's vision is, 
um, you can't have things like religion interfering with that because you need people to believe in you. You need people to believe in your way of doing things and your way of thinking. If I think of the US and I'm trying to think of an example, I, it would probably be economic. So in terms of the economy, correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the biggest um, debates that you guys have is about healthcare, right? So like, yeah. should healthcare be more affordable or should it be free like it is at the point of view say in Europe or something like that or should it still be like pay-per-use um and then based on your insurance whether you pay for that yourself or you get that through work um and that's a huge topic of debate and from a, from a European perspective that doesn't make any sense right so we're looking at you guys and we're like well obviously you just have it for free and then it's paid for through taxes but then Americans in generally speaking are against any rise in taxes and it's like that's an ideological argument it's not actually economic and it's something that's been imbued in Americans since like the founding of the country right that idea of the freedom of the individual and like you are responsible personal responsibility you're responsible unto yourself you shouldn't you know burden your neighbor and you should be trying to you know like work towards your own version of the American dream whereas in China you've kind of got the opposite which is why China and the US clash so much it's because China the CCP wants the entire country to be oriented towards its own goals whereas in the US it's a lot more the ideological the ideology is to be the fragmented individual self yeah I totally get it it's just like with the religion thing it just you know it, it goes back to the like if people are going to have their wants, like you mentioned the wants and desires. And it's like, people are going to have the, their wants and their desires, whether they're religious or not. You know what I mean? And it's like, but it's also about devotion. Like you can't be devoted to God and the CCP at the same time. And if you are like, devoted like, to God, I feel like you, I feel like you can though. That's the thing. Like, I feel like as a, but they have to share and that's not okay. <laughs> no. no. Yeah. I get that. But it's like, you know, if you're like a Christian or whatever in America, it's like you can be devoted to God, but then to be, be devoted to your family and then be devoted to your business. There's plenty of people who are, you know, God, guns and country or whatever. But like, yeah, you know, it's like, I mean, if anything, it just seems kind of like, OK, this person's religious. Well, at least they're going to like um, at least try to follow these, you know, religious rules which may or may not be good but um but yeah anyways like so moving on to the the communist aspect of it so as you know as you know um like here in america like like i was saying before like i think we're very biased towards china russia really any communist country and I had a guy on who was trying to he he was talking about communism. He's he's for communism, and it's like to be honest with you, like I'm for communism, but like it has to work. And it sounds like from what we're taught, at least here in America, that it doesn't. You know, a lot of people, a lot of Republicans will say it just doesn't work or whatever. But it's like I guess my question to you would be like, do you think it works? Like, do you think that ultimately China is trying to do good? for the people and also i asked this guy who was communist like would you want to live that's the big question is like would you rather live in america or would you rather live in these communist countries such as and it's so convoluted to like which ones are actually communist like russia isn't communist anymore i think cuba is right i think like china is kind of 
but yeah, and then there's also the question, and this is a kind of a long, a long way of asking, but I wanted to like cover both these points. Also, you know, you hear about like the um, <clears throat> Apple sending their, you know, Apple having Foxconn over there or whatever, and like those people working for like you know slave wages and then child late, you know, child almost slavery or there or whatever, or like mm-hmm. children working. But then also you hear about the Congo which I heard on Joe Rogan recently. I don't know if you know about mm, that, but yeah. the guy went on and he went to the Congo yeah, and was yeah, saying yeah. how basically because we're using iPhones, kids in the Congo are essentially like slaves or whatever. But then yeah. it's like he was saying that China, it sounds like China kind of overall controls that. So Yeah, I think even they own the majority of the mines. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so America kind of, I think, is even though we're totally involved with that, like we're kind of like, washing our hands saying oh well china owns the mines or whatever and we're just getting our our batteries or whatever from there but so yeah overall do you think do you and i kind of like almost do want like a personal answer from you like do you think that overall they're trying to do the best thing do you think that overall communism is working for them or do you think that like a lot of the americans are right when they say like it's it's not good Hmm. you see what i'm saying yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I totally do. Um, yeah. From a personal perspective, I don't personally believe that communism can work at scale because like every ideology, except for um, free market capitalism, I find, um, if you can call that an ideology, it's more of an economic system. Um, communism doesn't factor in uh, people, like how people actually think and work and live and want. It kind of you know, it assumes a system that this perfect system would work if it was run by like colony ants, basically, who would just mindlessly do the tasks that they were given, would be happy to earn the same work as everyone else, uh, earn the same amount of money as everyone else, regardless of the amount of work that they did, right? Because the the fundamental philosophy of communism is from each according to his ability to each according to his need. So that means that if you as an able-bodied man were say lifting heavy in a pre-industrial age lifting heavy steel bars all day long but a disabled person wasn't working at all you would both get the same standard of living the same food rations um the same healthcare provision everything regardless of how hard you worked um so for for me i just think it's impractical because especially on a large scale i think in a small society i mean on a family level it works right because like if you've got parents and kids um, the parents work and the kids don't, but everyone lives in the same house. Everyone eats the same food. You know, everyone gets the same healthcare, etc. Um, you can possibly pull it off in a town. Uh, once you get to a city level, it's like every man for themselves. You know, you've been if you've been to anywhere, any major city, you know, like New York or whatever. It is like it is. People don't care about other people, and you can't because you're removed from them socially. So I think what communist countries often try to do, you see this in China as well. They try to foster a sense of like social community. When the Chinese Communist Party were building their early cities, they would build something called residence committees into them where it's like people who are basically in charge of making sure everyone in the building's okay. You know, all the old people are taken care of, all the, you know, women have play groups to take their kids to, all the men work in the same factory. So like everyone in your building would go to the same office with you, basically. And you, all your kids went to the same school and you all had the same doctor. So they worked really hard on fostering that sense of local community because they knew that that's the best way to get communism to work. But 
it still doesn't factor in, you know, some people didn't want to be a factory worker, some people wanted to go to university. And then you have this other layer within communism where it's like, the the way communism works is on a timeline, right? So you have to have reached capitalism before you reach communism, because communism is the reallocation of capital goods to everyone up on an equal distribution. So you're taking away from the rich capitalists and you're giving it to the poor people. Um, so you have disempowered and disenchanted a large chunk of your population already. Um, and you've possibly had to execute them like they did in Soviet um, in the Soviet Union in the 1920s and 1930s. You might have had to execute them or turn them into like semi-slaves out in the wilderness um, or in, in China. Maybe they ran away to places like Taiwan and Hong Kong um, or, you know, put them in prison or labor camps or whatever so you've we've already got a disenchanted part of the population who wanted better who aspired to better but you've stripped that away from them so you've kind of built this social disharmony and then they've got this awful label attached to them like you used to be a capitalist you're an awful person and now all your children are the children of capitalists and they're awful people and they can never have opportunities they can never go to university and they can never be anything more than like a basic farmer basically so you have to basically forcibly level out society when society is already like fractured and people are already on at different levels so that's a really long way of answering the question of no I don't think communism can work but when it comes to what China is trying to do I think they're like every other country they're just trying to survive it's a very competitive world out there China's doing it its own way I I mean is it doing a good thing or a bad thing is the US doing a good thing or a bad thing is the UK doing a good thing or a bad thing you know every country has it's, you know, points, it's good points and it's bad points. It's like neocolonialism and it's like aid programs. It's wars on people who are just trying to live their lives. And, you know, like, you know, it's, it's charities and things like that. So I think China is just another country and it shouldn't be sort of, the problem is that it's often portrayed as this like boogeyman who's out to get to the US. And it's like, I don't think that's really the case. I think they're just doing what they can. Yeah. And in terms of that, um, well, let's just stay with the, well, yeah, I still have a question real quick on that. And in terms of that, like, so we supposedly owe them you know, you, you hear like all these numbers throwing like we're, we're indebted to China, like 13 trillion or whatever, like that, that type of thing. So is that correct? Like we are in debt to them some, somewhere along the lines of 13 trillion or whatever the, the number is like, um, do you know if that's correct? Yeah. <clears throat> Roughly. Yeah. So in terms of that, like, <clears throat> and then you also hear, like you said, like they're the big boogeyman and it's like, I guess like at what point, um, do you think that they actually might just be like, fuck this, like we're, we're cutting America off. And I've heard, but the reason like why they don't is because I get, I think they need us essentially. Right. They need us for like, um, yeah. What do you call it? For like, um, kind of like shipping back and forth. I, I don't know why, yeah, why, export, actually, why export they, trade. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, um, so, uh, um, the US, I believe, I could be wrong, but it's definitely in the top three of China's largest export markets. Okay, and export meaning like 
we're buying a lot so of the, stuff from Alibaba or whatever, yeah. right? And then we, we yeah, get a lot so, of stuff from them, but then they also get a lot of stuff from yeah. us. Okay. Yeah. So like if you it's like something like every single iron in the world is made in China, or like 99% of irons in the world are made in China. Anything you're using right now, like your headset, your computer, whatever, it's been it's either been wholly manufactured or a part of it has been made in China for a company to sell as the merchandiser in the US. You know, this is why a few years ago, lots of makeup companies were getting in trouble because you had really high end brands um, and really low end cheap drugstore brands um, all getting their makeup made in exactly the same factory in China and just having a different label slapped on it and then shipped out to the consumer with a different price um but yeah all of that like a lot of that I wouldn't say all of it because America does still have I think Americans underestimate how much manufacturing is still um you know homegrown especially things like the the automotive industry and things like that um and driving being like the largest employment one of the largest employment sectors is very important um but China does have a quite a big grasp on things like steel consumer goods and increasingly semiconductors which are like really important chips that go in like phones and electric vehicles and things like that yeah i mean so to a certain extent like with that and i, I kind of want to stay on the whole communist thing but like and not mm -hmm. only that but like their work conditions and stuff like that but like so with that being said like do you think that like for one we're kind of taking advantage of the fact that they're making like really cheap goods and then two their government is taking advantage of their own people essentially to make these goods and then also is it with that being said is it true that there is there are people out there who are making you know very extremely low wages to make things such as the iphones and and whatever else that they're making for extremely cheap like yeah like, I think like for, you're saying, it's like the problem the problem that I have is like, I don't really have a problem with the fact that they're communists, because in, in a way, I, I totally believe, I agree with the communist ideals. But it's like, it also sounds like, okay, if you're communist, then shouldn't everybody have the same, I think technically you said they said, they say they're socialist, right? But like, yeah, shouldn't they all have, like, it's not fair that they're, they're having slave wages when they're supposed to be communists, which is supposed to make everyone equal, right? Yeah. So I think there's, yeah, there's a little bit of nuance perhaps to the way that things like wages and stuff are construed and con and conditions as well. There have definitely been things like suicides at factories um, because of living conditions. But I think what's acceptable for a Chinese person, considering that the country was dirt poor, like the majority of people lived in, like 90% of the people worked on in agriculture, like with their bare hands about 70 years ago. Um, to come as far in, in terms of industrialization and urbanization as China has now is nothing short of a miracle, both by China standards and international standards. And certainly compared to the average US worker in a factory, say like in an Amazon shipping facility or something like that, compared to a Chinese person who um, packages like, I don't know, as you say, iPhones or something like that all day or like puts them together. Um. So a lot of Chinese people work as like immigrant labor as well. So they don't work in their hometown. They commute maybe thousands of miles from their home village and they live in uh, dormitories with like 10 other people in a room. 
and they work on the factory floor all day. But China does have strict um, labor laws in terms of working hours, and they do not earn as much as the average, you know, anywhere. But also their cost of living is a lot, lot lower. And for a lot of those people, they see this as a huge opportunity. They would much rather leave their families the whole year round, only go home once or twice a year, earn relatively a lot of money and then go back to their village and bring back, you know, gifts, be able to develop their villages back home, look after their children and the old people who live there. From their perspective, that's a huge opportunity. So I think there's a, especially from a Western point of view, there's a perspective issue because for us, that that would be basically slavery, right? We're used to things like work from home, freedom to do whatever you want, um, you know, just getting a Starbucks, for example, whenever you feel like you're on McDonald's, but that's not the case in China. Life is a lot harder for the average person. But if you, if when you speak to people, like I've spoken to people like taxi drivers um, or uh, wage workers, people who work in restaurants and things like that, they're very happy. Um, and they, they see their life as an opportunity because they, they are living better than the generation before. They have opportunities that they've never even seen before. They don't. They might not have aspirations to like travel abroad, go on extravagant holidays, but they're happy that they can, you know, have an iPhone, for example. Like they have phones too, and you know they can browse on the internet. And they've got a good job and they've got a roof over their head. So, yeah, they have um, they have a different perspective on life, I would say, than especially the average Westerner, especially would have. So it sounds like even though they are, well, first of all, you know, you hear things about like child, I, I, I want to say slavery, but that, that's not the right term. Like child, um, what's it called when they make the- Like child labor? Children. Child labor, exactly. Um, so you hear things about child labor happening there. Is that true? Like, is there, are they- I don't, I don't do they know have if rules it's true that? or not, but they have very strict rules about like, child, like it, it would be unusual, I think, and that would have been exposed, I think, if they had children working in factories, um, because a lot of these factories as well, they're exporting to foreign companies. And so foreign business owners will go there and visit the factory and sort of make sure everything is, you know, top shape and things like that. And, you know, they have they have strict rules about education in China. All children have to be in school till 14. So I think it would be rare and unusual to have like enforced child labor, perhaps in like a remote village where there's little enforcement or something like that, but definitely not in like an uh, like a main city in like a factory or something like that. Okay. Am, am I right though that I have I feel like I have heard that China does have that or or is that I, just I think not I think people thing? have said that, yeah. But I think especially yeah. in recent years, that's not really something that you would see anymore. Okay. So it sounds like even though there are kind of like bad conditions there and like them getting paid very low wages it's also inexpensive to live. And then also compared to how it was 50 years ago, it's gotten a lot better. So you think like ultimately their government is kind of like, even though there still are bad situations, they're still kind of doing the right thing. And you kind of mentioned also here in America, I, I mean, I'm a big advocate for like, you know, fair working conditions and all that like i've worked in an amazon warehouse i i currently am an amazon delivery driver and it's like some of the stuff they do in my opinion is just kind of like a lot of companies just take advantage of their workers and it's like it's not yeah. it's, it's not okay in my mind like i yeah i try to i i'm not really actively doing anything to fight against it but i i want to i'm for unions and all that but um it sounds like what by what you were saying working here even like in an amazon 
fulfillment center or whatever is still a lot better than working there at like Foxconn or, or whatever. Like it, it sounds like it still is a lot better in America mm-hmm. in terms of work would, conditions. Right. Yeah. Than, than I would say there. from, especially from a, an American perspective, I mean, I think something that people forget as well, possibly because of the way it's portrayed in the media is that China is still a developing country. Um, and they say that themselves, they would, they don't claim to be like a fully prosperous country. Their GDP per capita is nowhere near like a developed country. I think it's still like 12,000 US, US dollars per person is the average like per capita GDP um, in a Western What country. does that mean exactly? Like GDP? Um, like- so like, um, so how much a, a worker is worth essentially. So like how much the average person would take home a year in in US dollars in China would be something an average would be like 12,000 US dollars um which is not enough to live on from a western perspective right in western countries it, the average it's closer to like 30 you know probably kicking up to 40 these days because of inflation so f- and as you've rightly pointed out their cost of living is a lot lower um the cost of goods is a lot cheaper but also the quality is cheaper as well um you know they, ha- they do have things like high-speed rail links and things like that, but, you know, it's not everywhere. Most of the country is still, um, you know, relative, what we would consider rustic, um, I think, in the West. So, yeah, I think there's there's just that, the way that China is portrayed as this, again, big, bad bully with a huge military and, like, really imposing and, like, stomping on its little neighbours. China itself is still a developing country, Um by every sort of measure that you could measure it by. So I think it's something to bear in mind when we talk about things like conditions for living, for working. It's not what we're used to, but if you put it in the perspective of the fact that it's still developing, then I think it it becomes clearer as to why it is the way that it is. Yeah, it's kind of interesting that they're still developing, yet we owe them 13 trillion. You know what I mean? And yeah. then also, like, it's... Um, yeah, it's... Um, it almost seems like, and then also in terms of, well, yeah, real quick. And so in terms of the, the, their communist beliefs, you mentioned Marx. Like, so do they have, so they get their communist beliefs from Karl Marx, right? Like they have the same. On, at a basic level. Yeah. Yeah. And Karl, where's Karl Marx from? Was he Russian or I don't even know where he's from. No, he is. Oh, I want to say German, but he could be Austrian. Yeah. For some <laughs> reason European. I was thinking. <laughs> I was thinking like Russian, just because, you know, Russia obviously was a communist country. But then I was thinking if it's not Russia, then Germany or Austria. But it's yeah. kind of interesting that Russia kind of got their beliefs from Karl Marx, who came from Germany or Austria. Right. It's like. Um, yeah, for some reason, I would think that like. They would, I don't know, um, get their beliefs from somebody like within their own country kind of thing. But hmm. It's just it's just the spread of ideas, isn't it? It's like ideas can. How does religion spread around the world? It's just transmission through people. It's a bit like a virus, really. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so basically, in terms of their communist beliefs, it 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 is very similar to like how Russia was, right? With um, what's that called? I'm blanking on the the Russian um, what Russia like was Stalin. Before. Like um, Stalinism, Leninism during the Soviet Union. Exactly the Soviet Union. So it's very, so it's very similar in their belief system to 
the Soviet, how the Soviet Union was then, right? Um, Except it's more, it sounds like it's more capitalist now. Yeah, so they they managed to take a different road to the Soviet Union by not collapsing in the 90s. Uh, It was a close call, but they managed to sort of hold on to that. Um, It's basically the Communist Party managed to hold on to power. Um, The way that they do that is basically communism in China is kind of like a compounding ideology. So you kind of, it's kind of like, you know, how the American Constitution has amendments um Chinese communism has amendments depending on who's in power so like you have Mao Zedong thought which is like the original but it's in its full form it's called Marxism Leninism Mao Zedong thought so it's a mix of Marxism a mix of Leninism and a mix of Mao Zedong Mao Zedong was a huge fan of Stalin and Stalinism so you've got lots of Stalinism mixed into that Uh, When Mao Zedong dies, a man called Deng Xiaoping takes over. He is a huge market economy reformer. He introduces the idea of like fair pay for labor, basically, which wasn't a thing under Mao Zedong. People were basically just paid stagnant wages. But, you know, he introduced like a more competitive economy, especially in rural areas. And then later um, rulers introduce um, things like a slightly more open political system and now you've got Xi Jinping thought on top of that so basically every leader in China adds their own thought their own ideology their own principles for how they believe China should be run um, to the big communist mix so that's why it's not really a purest communist ideology or a pure communist country anymore because it has all of these different philosophies mixed in there based on like where china is in its development stage okay and in terms of in terms of Xing's, it's i'm gonna have a hard time pronouncing that but xi jinping xi jinping xi jinping do you feel i don't really you it sounds like he everyone kind of knows he's in charge there but i don't i don't think i knew that sadly but um (laughs) do you think that he's overall doing a good job do you think he has good intentions what do you feel um, about him? It depends on what you mean about his intentions. I think his intention, well, his intention, his realization is to accrue as much power to himself as possible. Um, he is much more a supreme leader in the vein of like Mao. Um, you know, sort of he's got, got like a cult of personality going on. Um, he's a very, very like very powerful individual so before in China for the past few decades you've had leaders who led as a group so with other top members of the party um shared ideas were a bit more consultative uh but now Xi Jinping is very much like the ultimate power holder and it's kind of construed as this guy who can like you know will anything that he wants into existence basically um, and his ideology is a lot stricter as well. He's not for political reform at all. Um, he is also responsible for encouraging and increasing enmity with the US, I would say, and sort of um, provoking them by saying certain things about Taiwan or about uh, Russia. Um, but at the same time, he's trying to portray China as this very, like, you know, China used to be called the, like, peaceful rise in the east and i think he's trying to go back to that recently china um brokered a peace deal between saudi arabia and iran um not a peace deal but kind of like peace talks between them 
Um, they're now trying to broker peace between Ukraine and Russia. And Xi Jinping recently called up Vladimir Zelensky to, you know, get things moving. And he visited Moscow recently as well. So, you know, China's China is basically trying to show that it can be relied on, especially if the US were to collapse for whatever reason. Um, they want to be the next big player. They want to be respected. Um, they want to have as much soft power and hard power as the US, essentially, so that they can become the next global superpower. And do you think they want that? Like, do you think there's any truth to them wanting the US to collapse? Oh, and that, take over? that's yeah, that's um you can take that for granted for sure. Um, like it's um it's in basically the the textbooks in school, they'll write there's um I remember reading a textbook for like a politics student, um, a Chinese politics student, 14, 15 year old kid. And the the text was basically given an, an example of, um, I've forgotten what it's called now, but basically where the passing of a law in the US can be held up by someone just standing there basically and talking and talking and talking and refusing to move. And then that can delay a bill long enough so that no one can vote on it. Um, I forgot what it's called now. Um, yeah, it's called. Uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. But, yeah, uh, I'm <laughs> People, it's on the tip of my tongue. Too. People will be yeah. screaming at us, um, listening. But um, yeah, they give they use a fil- things a like filibuster? that. Filibustering. Filibuster. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they use things like that um, as an example of why the U.S. system is like completely broken and about to collapse because they've got this two-party system they can't get anything done and because of this two-party system they're always arguing about basic things like um like healthcare, like abortion and because the, the government can't make a decision um then the people can't get anything done basically and the people are suffering whereas in china because we have just one party um everything's like smooth life is great everyone's prospering everyone's getting richer life is getting better so they deliberately contrast the u.s system to the chinese one to show why democracy especially um sort of u.s federalism style um republicanism democracy doesn't work so do you think there's any truth to them using like stuff like tiktok to kind of like be divisive and and try and um I guess, like, you know, mess with us internally from the outside. I mean, from from my perspective of that kind of thing, it's just like when they were saying the same thing about Russia with the Russian collusion or whatever. Mm. Like, it just, it just, it doesn't, I don't know. It like just doesn't, first of all, I've been on TikTok a lot and it doesn't really seem like, you know, if they are trying to do that, it doesn't seem like they're doing a good job at it. You know what I mean? Like it, <laughs> yeah. And it, I mean, exactly. it's like it's like sad to say, and it's it's probably really ignorant on my part, but it's just like I don't really feel like them or Russia are like really it's like really sad to say, but like intelligent enough to mess with us in that kind of way. And it's like if they are mm. and I and I'm saying that being on these these apps, you know what I mean? It's like I don't know if you've been on TikTok, but most of it's just like from what I've seen, at least is extremely goofy. It's not like any type of yeah. like hardcore communist like speeches or anything. But um, yeah. So do you think there's any truth to them trying to kind of like um, what's the word? I guess like trying like be divisive and get us get us to like fight with each other from the outside. 
Honestly, I don't think they would even have to try. I think the US is so easy to provoke right now. Like you saw with the spy balloon incident, like that was nothing. And it could very easily have been dismissed by the US as just nothing. Um, Don't worry about that, guys. We're going to handle it. It's not a big deal. But instead, it was blown completely out of proportion. And in many ways, the US mishandled it and embarrassed themselves. China didn't even have to do anything. All China said was like, it's just a balloon, (laughs) you know, like, we're not doing anything. It's just a balloon. And so China, I don't think China is trying to like, it, it's not really trying to provoke the US, but at the same time, I think they have the understanding that they don't need to. Um, China's existence is provocation to the US. And so they, what the US has unfortunately done is that they've put, they've put the ball in China's court because it's like, oh, you know, TikTok is like espionage and you're stealing our data and like, explain yourself, Chinese CEO guy. And the guy's like, I'm from Singapore. I'm not even Chinese. Like, it's not spyware. I don't know what to, I like, I don't know what you want from me. They keep hitting these balls into China's court and China just deflects them like, no, it's not true. Don't know what you're talking about. And it just enrages the US political and media machine more and more. And then that's something that China uses and points to like, see, they're always demonizing us. They're always calling on us names. They're always trying to attack us. We've done nothing wrong. So from China's perspective, it's actually a good thing that the U.S. is so easy to provoke at the moment. It's almost like a like a passive aggressive approach to like politics or something like we're we're just like. Yeah, they're very passive aggressive. Yeah, Yeah, China is very, very passive aggressive. Yeah, like we're just going to allow you to fight with each other from within and we're just going to stand back and watch and like we're happy with it. And yeah. um, so in Literally terms like of this, taking this... a video of it and then posting it online and like, haha, look at these guys. <laughs> and laughing, yeah. And so in terms of the spy balloon, like it's like I, I see so much of stuff in the news, but you don't really know fully what's going on. And it's like, if it was a spy balloon, like it didn't look like a very mm-hmm. good spy balloon, like it was a giant like, it, it's just like, what the hell is this? Like, what the hell was going on with that? Like, was it an actual yeah. spy balloon or what was it? I don't think we'll ever know the truth. <laughs> I think, I, I agree with you that like, if it's a spy balloon, it was a terrible one, but then maybe, you know, like the best disguise is no disguise at all sort of thing. Like, you know, it, it could well be that. I don't, if it was a, them trying to spy on the US, it was a huge mistake. But then again, the it could have been them just trying to provoke. It could have been that their narrative of it just blowing off course was correct. Like, we don't know. And we probably won't ever know the truth because everyone's bickering. And, you know, can you trust what the CCP says about what China's really up to and things like that? Because they lie about certain things. So it's like, I think the most important thing about the spy balloon incident is that it doesn't matter at all and it doesn't change anything. Um, but the US let it get to them and that revealed their hand almost and that's something that China can now run with going forward it just, I don't know it just seems almost like child's play or something it's like what the hell are they doing it's just like <laughs> not not so much China but us it's like why yeah. are we like why don't why don't they just come out and say what it really like it just seems weird to me that it's like nobody really seems to know what it is but it's like why don't you just come out and say what it is like why are you making this big deal that it's a Chinese spy balloon? It's just like, mm. it's very weird how to, how they're handling things. And same thing like with, it's kind of, well, it's off the topic, but it's also kind of similar to the spy balloon with the 
the alien stuff that's you know the ufos or whatever i don't know if you've heard about this but it's like there's all this ufo stuff and it's like there's got to be a way for them to like know what's going on and like if they don't it, i don't know it, i guess the biggest thing that i would say is like it just seems like there's there really is so much misinformation and it's like maybe mm-hmm. maybe it just truly is misinformation and maybe like they themselves don't really know what's going on themselves and like they just try and spin it in a certain way and then like meanwhile like we're all fighting against you know like weird like kind of like culture war issues like Mm. trans rights and like homosexuals and like abortion which is all important but it just i don't know it just seems like you know they've said that like we're um you know i don't know like people will say like the government like you know they're trying to distract us with or like the media or whatever is trying to distract us with certain stuff when like real other stuff is going on but like, there's real issues out there and it seems like we're getting distracted like you're saying and they're sitting back and and laughing so yeah i know we don't have too much more time if we could um kind of go over like a rapid fire thing real quick because i have a ton sure, of questions absolutely. but like you mentioned you mentioned taiwan so i kind of want to know real quick what's going on with taiwan and is so yeah where is taiwan like what is it actually in china and they're trying to separate what's going on with that so taiwan is a a an island chain an island region um off the east coast of china it's not very far from the mainland um and historically it has been part of the chinese empire not that recent like from the 17th century basically so not that recently it's not like it's always been part of china um but during the 19th century, it was part of the Japanese Empire. And then during the Chinese Civil War, which was a, a war between the Nationalist Party and the Communist Party, the Communists obviously won. And the Nationalist Party fled to Taiwan and they took over Taiwan. So now you have a Chinese, an ethnically Chinese, but Nationalist Party government they're not nationalists anymore but it's they're like the remnants of those people ruling over taiwan um and china basically argues that taiwan is a rogue state that actually belongs to the mainland um and they have something called the one china principle the us also maintains this principle i think a lot of people get this wrong a lot of people think that the us unilaterally supports taiwan um and believes that taiwan is the real china because that's what they claim um, or have claimed in the past. Now Taiwan is complaining that they are not China at all. They are their own people. Um, but essentially the US's policy towards Taiwan is that if China invades forcibly, they will come to Taiwan's aid to protect them. If Taiwan tries to secede and say that and separate completely from China, they will not support Taiwan. Who said that? So, uh, this is the, the American policy on uh, Taiwan. Okay, so if if Taiwan goes with the flow with China, we'll protect them. But if they try um, to see, no, we won't. no. So, oh, so it's 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 very it's, <laughs> it's weird. It's a weird policy. So basically, if China, if mainland China invades, the U.S. has is promised to protect them. If Taiwan declares itself part of China, the U.S. does nothing. If Taiwan declares its independence from China, the U.S. technically cannot support that. That's okay. the policy. And who comes up with these rules with what 
um, the U.S. can do or cannot do. And then also when when if we go to to defend Taiwan, do you feel do you feel like it's like for the the best interest of them? Like we're kind of doing like a um, a good charitable thing, or do you think that there's a reason why we we want to do it also, like that benefits us? Um, well, there is a main reason why the U.S. doesn't want Taiwan to fall into Chinese communist hands, and that's because Taiwan produces something like seventy percent of the world's semiconductors. Um, so they basically control the chip technology for every advanced technological device in the world, including electric vehicles, um, computers, mobile phones, like everything, TVs, everything. Um, and so if they lose Taiwan, I say they, um, Taiwan is obviously like an American affiliate, if you will, um, then, you know, China basically has control over the entire basically technological processing industry globally. Um, yeah, and they get to control all of those supply chains. Um, but I don't think it would be charitable of the US to protect Taiwan. I actually did a podcast on my own channel recently about this, but essentially um, it would mean World War Three, and we would all possibly die. So I don't think it's a very good idea because that would mean a land war between China and the US. And that's going to end badly. For, like definitely people in East Asia would perish um, and the rest of us would be rocked very hard by supply chain issues. Like you think that the Russia-Ukraine war led to inflation abroad. If China and the US go to war, that that's it basically for most of us. And these are two yeah, nuclear I superpowers as well. And do you feel like the main the only the main reason why China doesn't want to go to war with us at this point is because like simply because they don't want to do that. They don't want to like completely ruin the world. Yeah, they don't basically. they have no they have no reason. Um I think that Taiwan I think China believes that they can bring Taiwan back into the fold basically by co-opting their economy and by interfering in their elections and trying to indoctrinate you know, younger people to believe that they are Chinese. I think they're working on different methods. Um, and I think they're going to wait till the US's guard is down and probably do a very small invasion far in the future, like past the 10 year mark. Basically, they're going to look for a gap or a weakness or something where the US is distracted and then make their move. I don't think they would ever declare war on the US. I don't think that would happen at all. Well, one, what do you think? what does Taiwan want that's different than China? Like, do they want to become capitalist? Is it like a religion thing? Like, why do they want to secede? So Taiwan, they, they are, um, they've already been like a capitalist economy. They were a dictatorship for a long time. They've recently become a democracy in the last, like, I think 40 or 30 or 40 ish years. They're now a democracy. Um, like I say, they're very closely affiliated with the U S they run a free market economy there. Um, <laughs> There are parts of the community who want to be Chinese, who believe that either they should return to the mainland or they should work together with China more closely, but keep their independence. There are some people who believe that Taiwan should become its own nation and have nothing to do with China, um, that Taiwan doesn't have anything to do with China, really, except for some past historical nonsense that they should move on from. So it's again, the community is very fractured within Taiwan. And I think that's also something that the CCP in China wants to kind of utilize to their own advantage. Okay. And Taiwan is like pretty small too. So if they were to get into a war with China, like they don't really have a chance, except if we go, right? Oh, no, Isn't Taiwan not, pretty small? 
yeah it's a proxy war for sure um if basically if china invades taiwan and the u.s isn't there on the first day they win like that's how it that's how it plays out yeah taiwan cannot defend itself at all on any level from not from the chinese military no way yeah and then i mean like do you think there's like any possibility of like you know it seems like with all these wars going on and these spats and these battles and stuff i mean like don't you think that we could all just kind of like get along and and like be (laughs) like be happy or like do you think that's not possible like i always kind of like wonder here like we have it i feel like there's so much money here and everything i'm kind of like why are we why are we working what are we fighting about what are we fighting about can't we all just get along and be mellow but then i think you have the other point that it's like oh well if you kind of like if you let your guard down someone then some other company will come over or some other country will come over and take it you know what I mean? And it's probably yeah. true, but it's just like, why is everyone, you know, like, I feel like we're to a point now, I feel like we should be to a point now globally where it's like, can't we all just get along and everyone just have their yeah. own space? You know what I mean? And like, yeah, I know. Again, I, I mean, totally obviously agree. it's not possible because you have these people who want to just take over, I guess, but yeah, it's sad. I mean, you, know? you, yeah. you always have the, um, what do you call it? The pe- like, no matter how harmonious a society is, you always have the guy who is standing right behind the benevolent dictator and just shoots him in the back of the head and takes power for himself, right? Um, for every good guy out there, there's like 10 bad guys who want to take over the perfect system and manipulate it to their own ends. And I'm not saying that that is like Xi Jinping's ultimate goal or like Putin's ultimate goal. I don't, you know, I don't know these people personally they have their own ideals and beliefs but i've been reading um to review a lot of us perspective books about china i'm reading um one that's coming out relatively shortly and i'll be writing a review about it on my substack and the american point of view is very interesting because the the subtitle of the book essentially is how the us will win you know the us strategy to win and it's the whole book is construed in terms of like China is like the other team, you know, on the field that we're trying to beat. We need to get more points than them um, politically, economically, socially. Um, they need to be defeated. We need to like trounce them, you know, all of this kind of language. It's very black and white. There is no perspective about coexistence or you know, mutual benefit or anything like that. As you say, can't we all just get along? I think in an ideal world we could, but unfortunately we don't live in an ideal world. And I think their ideologies are so diametrically opposed. The US has no interest in sort of calling calling it off with China and being like, let's just be buddies. They don't, they, that's not on their, even within the realms of thought, I believe. So even even coming from the U.S., like the U.S. doesn't want to do that. It's like neither really neither side wants to do that. Yeah, yeah. It's not I mean, only competition China, it's is like us. the U.S. spirit, right? Everything is about competition. Yeah, yeah. It's the same on a geopolitical level as well. Which, in my in my mind, this is more of like a philosophical thing. But in my mind, I kind of I've always I kind of feel like competition is almost a bad thing. Like I, I was raised like, you know, my dad, and you know, like you said every most people in the u.s are very competitive and they want to win and it's like but in my mind it's kind of like if everybody's battling if everybody's competing like you're going to have the winners and you're going to have the losers and it's like Mm -hmm. 
I don't know. Like it just doesn't it doesn't seem and we have that in the US. It's like we have the winners, we have the Elon Musk who are worth 200 billion and then you have the people on the streets who are poor and it's like I don't know. It's like what's the point? Like I just don't really want to compete. Like I'm yeah. an artist, I'm a musician and all this stuff and it's like I don't I don't really see the need for competition. Mm. And it's like I, I guess think- the idea is like what we were just talking about is like, if you're not competitive, if we're not competitive as a nation, like you said, some other nation or person or whatever will come in and take it from you. But it's like, and that, I guess that leads to the question of like, I don't know if you've heard about the whole like globalization thing. I, I, it seems like I hear about it more from kind of like the alt-right conspiracy theories than I do from the actual whatever left or whatever but you know how like i guess the left wants to to kind of globalize and like um kind of ideally have this idealistic world like do you think that's possible to like do you kind of see why i don't really know enough about it to use the right terminology but you know what i'm Mm -hmm. talking about right like i think the u.s some of the u.s's goal is to ultimately kind of have a one world government, I guess, right? And globalize, like, is that true? Or do you feel like that's just more like conspiracy theory? I think it's, I don't think there is a grand gathering. Well, technically there is. I think lots of people say like the Davos conference where all the like super rich people meet and talk about the global future meet is like this grand conference to plan the future of the world without the people of the world having any say in it. I think we definitely see things like that happening whether or not it can come together to actually form a one world government, I think is, I think there'll always be national, cultural, sort of local interests that push against that. But I think in, in I mean, like, you know, when you think fast food, everyone has McDonald's, right? Um, if you think about phones, people only have like three different makes of phone and that's pretty much it. And like the operating systems, either Apple or Android, there isn't really anything in between. So we already have monopolies in many areas of our lives that we're very happy to accept. And we're off, I think the pandemic as well showed that people are very much more receptive to government dictate than the government even thought that they would be. And so seeing how receptive people are to just, you know, okay, everyone's got to stay at home for like two years and everyone just did it. Right. I don't think the government even knew before that they had the power to do that. But it showed that if you scare people enough about something, then they're much more receptive to kind of being told to do whatever you want. And even though it didn't benefit large parts of the population, you know, if you work remotely in a white collar job, you're fine. But, you know, lots of like lots of people lost their livelihoods during the pandemic. Lots of kids lost out on like two years of education. Lots of people lost out on health care and things like that. So it showed the government as well that people are, w- are willing to basically protect their own personal safety and their own well-being and sacrifice pretty much everyone else in the course of like, well, I'm safe sort of thing. So I think the government understands that things like financial incentive and fear and sort of going back to the idea of competition, it's actually biologically written into our DNA you know even monkeys compete with each other we can't ever get away from the competition even if we wanted to um even in like those communist societies the communes that you people see people set up there's quite a few communes in the U.S. actually um there's always one guy in charge there's always a hierarchy of people who organize things otherwise nothing will get done so you need hierarchies and you need job satisfaction you know people take satisfaction from the things that they do and it's not necessarily in competition person to person 
but you are competing in terms of like well I don't want to be the poorest guy or I don't want to be a guy on the streets you know there's 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 something that you you are striving for and in striving for something you are already being competitive so I think all of these factors together kind of contribute to it's not so much that there is a grand globalist plan but I think as a population we're kind of walking towards that because lots of people see that as the ideal even if they don't know that they're going towards that it is the ideal for a lot of people who want to live a comfortable life who want to be relatively wealthy and who want to you know take pride in what they do essentially yeah well I do feel like it's um I don't know like there's a lot of people I don't know how how you look at it but it's like there, there's a lot of people like my dad and you know I guess probably more like an old I don't know like more of a Republican I guess type group who who doesn't like the idea of globalization they're like I like living here in America and you know I I I don't want to you know unite with the rest of the world or whatever but in my mind if we could get to that point of globalization and it's I think there's a lot of like idealism in it right where it's like Mm -hmm. we want this kind of ideal situation I mean do you think that's possible I I think that what by what you said it's like no it's not right (laughs) Like, I think it's it's going back to my answer, the same answer that I gave for communism, right? It's like it removes the human factor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You have to always account yeah. for like whenever you're doing the calculation, always carry the one, the one being actual people, and like everything is off. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have so many questions, and you know, I could go on and on, but um <laughs> I don't know how much time, how much more time do you have? Uh, I actually have to go now. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Sorry, there was honestly more questions that that I had, and I was like trying to like rapid fire through them, but I don't think there's like any way that we will be able to do that. So, if you want it, I'll just go ahead and end it on um, your podcast, and then also, um, so yeah, like um, once again, uh, plug your podcast, anything that you're doing, but then also um, any other podcasts, movies, music, TV shows whatever that you're into or maybe like people can um kind of like watch to learn more about china or whatever mm-hmm. okay um so my podcast is called sino babble so s i n o b a b l e um i also have a substack newsletter by the same name i can also find me by the same name on twitter as well um so in terms of uh documentaries to watch about China there's a really good one I'm just going to google it really quickly I'm so sorry because I've forgotten the name uh I know there was one called like Amer, or I guess that would be that wasn't China at all but like American Factory or something like that that like I think um, Obama did I feel like there's one on yeah I don't know have uh, you have you seen that one the Amer- I think it's called yeah. like American Factory Obama yes. did it or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Ascension. There we go. Um okay. it's called it's called Ascension. Um, it's a very good documentary. It has no commentary at all. So there's no like narrator telling you what to think. It's just clips from modern life in China. I think it was released like a couple of years ago, and it was made by a Chinese person. Um, it's all just, you know, it's things like people at their factory jobs people uh, the mega wealthy how they spend their life people training to be butlers for the mega wealthy and their perspectives 
um, people on holiday in China and things like that. So if you know nothing about China and you want to get like, what is it actually like being a Chinese person in China? Watch the movie Ascension. And I think that will help people set their um, perspective when reading news about China. I think that will help a lot. You know what, um, what, uh, app it's on or whatever like what, what uh like netflix um, or whatever like. oh i want to say i i'm tempted to say netflix because everything's on netflix but i will double check yeah um amazon prime apparently amazon okay, prime okay, and okay. paramount plus so okay great yeah i wanted to ask you about you know life in china then also technology then also maoism so <laughs> i guess I'll, I'll i'll just i'll just have to probably go to your podcast and um i'm sure yeah. you cover all that kind of stuff on your podcast so yes. okay great thanks for coming on eddie and um it was great having you and I, I i this was one of the topics that i wanted to have and i've had so many questions on for a while it was good to have like an expert on it well, it was great to be here i had that was a really good chat i love just like talking about stuff and like getting people's different perspectives on China as well. So it's really, it's always great to have these sorts of conversations. Yeah, for sure. Okay. I'll send you the link when it's up and thanks for coming on. Perfect. Thanks so much for your time. You too. Bye. Bye.